Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. What's up, Chris? Not much, man. Just still recovering from a pretty tough Saturday. I think we all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and if you don't know what he's talking about, uh, stay tuned in this podcast because that is definitely something that will be discussed today. Um, I'm sorry for you. Uh, I know that hurts, but and I it's probably, it's probably going to hurt to talk about it, but we have to talk about it for sure. You're um, not that sorry, though. You're not that sorry. I, I mean, I don't, I don't revel in... I try not to be too negative for... I feel like I cheer against so many teams. I'm trying to kind of like be a little more positive thinking, but it did tickle me that they lost. So I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it did. Come on, man. Yeah. We all know. We all know what's up. Yeah. So, but before we get to uh, what happened last week, we are going to look forward to the end of the college football regular season. We're headed into week 13 and this has become rivalry rivalry week in college football. That's going to be kind of hard to say. You did not bring it strong there, Bob. You are yeah. not watching the national championship with Bo. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sorry about that. That's funny. Um, and that's going to be hard to say all podcasts long. Uh, <laughs> but heading in, we have tons of interstate rivalries, some classic rivalries. Uh, they try to pair up as many teams as possible a few teams get left out in the cold but chris we have some really great rivalries for this final week we've already seen some play out that have the tradition of playing earlier but this is rivalry week and uh before we talk about specific games for you what makes a classic college football rivalry well i think a classic rivalry in general the sports rivalry you got to have two teams that don't like each other there has to be legitimate dislike not manufactured stuff it has to be real and the way it's real i think the fan bases get energized by it they see that there's a dislike for each team on the field and it spews over in the fan base so i think the first two components are teams that don't like each other fans that then don't like each other the third one is kind of how you produce that is consistently meaningful games between the two teams because in order for people teams and fans to really care about a game against another team they have to constantly be playing meaningful games and constantly be in each other's way towards the same goal you know the colts and the patriots were in a division for a long time But they didn't start their rivalry, oddly enough, until they were split from divisions and Manning and Brady kept on meeting deep in the playoffs consistently, and that really ignited a rivalry. And not to use that as, not to always bring it back to Manning and Brady, but it's a classic example of two teams that weren't traditional rivals that became very big rivals for the last 15 years or, or so, and... I think you need to have consistent, meaningful games in order to get the fan bases and the teams excited and to develop that genuine dislike for other for the other team. Yeah, certainly. I think all of those points definitely play into it. I think also to make a the upper level, the top tier rivalries, especially in college football, I think 
each team has to play spoiler at certain points and come up with uh, huge changing games where uh, you know one team is coming in expecting to enter the BCS title game, go to a New Year's Six Bowl, and the other team maybe is sitting at seven and three or something like that, and they just they spoil their season and they they ruin it for them. I think that is a is a key, key component. You have these memorable games where uh, each team already built up this hate because they've played each other so much because they've played meaningful games they get spoiled and then next year they come back and meet again and all you do is talk about what happened last year and the impact that that had and it it kind of spills over to the next season and the season after that and it just keeps on building upon each game and I think that is a key component to uh to building up these college football rivalries Oh, yeah, certainly. A lot of times these rivalries are ignited by a team playing spoiler. It's the first sort of the first shot in a rivalry is a team that maybe even not even seven and three. Maybe they're sitting at like five and six and trying to get into a bowl game and everyone's overlooking them. And then they pull off the huge upset against the 11 and 0 team. And that kind of jump starts the five and six teams program. And then for the next few years, they start playing those consistently meaningful games where everything's on the line for both teams. So you're absolutely right from that regard that the spoiler element of it can be a really big igniter, even if the flame's already going or if the flame needs to start, it can really jumpstart a rivalry. Certainly. And I think um, this isn't a requirement, but I think proximity makes for easier rivalries, especially in the college landscape where these kids get recruited to both schools. They know each other on each side. They, they grew up with each other and then they come together and are playing each other. And they know a lot of the guys on each sideline. I think that kind of throws more fuel into the fire. Even the fans know both players on each side because they follow their recruitment. have, have seen them play in high school. I think that lends to it. I don't think that's necessary because you do have some classic uh, cross-country rivalries most notably with with Notre Dame and some of the schools they play on the west coast but I think that's a key component and that just kind of adds to it when you have history the players the fans and the coaches all in on hate directed towards the other team I think it, it, it tends to 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 make for a much more exciting matchup yeah Notre Dame is really the only school I can think of that has a really large geographical rival. I can't think of another school out there off the top of my head at least that isn't at least in the same region as its primary rival or its largest rivals. When you think about all the biggest rivalries, they're usually bordering states, maybe one state over at the most, but nothing too far. Notre Dame USC and maybe Notre Dame Stanford are the only two that I can think of, the two that you mentioned um, Notre Dame USC more so than Stanford and Notre Dame Navy they would be a little bit more interregional but other than that I can't think of a school not tied to Notre Dame that has one of those rivalries unless of course you count the service schools Air Force being on the west side uh, playing you know Navy and Army uh, that would be a little bit different because you know they have the natural built-in uh, service school rivalry but other than those, I, I can't think of too many colleges that have uh, rivalries that transcend send regions. Yeah, I think and that just I think that stems back. You know, these 
a lot of the, the great rivalries that we talk about, you know, the, the top 20 rivalries, they all date back a really long time. And that's when schools weren't traveling coast to coast. They were playing uh, the closest schools as possible because of ge- geography and the landscape wasn't as uh, structured as it is today. Uh, all right. So that is our skeleton for a great rivalry. Chris, uh, I'm, I'm serving up a softball. I think we can see where this one's going. What's, what is your favorite rivalry in college football? I grew up in Ohio. You know this because you grew up with me in Ohio. So you know what I'm going to pick. It's Ohio State, Michigan. It's the game. It's the game I grew up with. You know the backstory of Ohio State, Michigan. You know our family has some personal ties to Ohio State, Michigan. There is a family divide on my mom's side. There's some relatives up in Michigan, people in Ohio. And it, yes, it does get personal at times. There's been a lot of, you know, smack talking going back and forth. When I was growing up, I had to take a lot of it because Michigan was really good in the 90s. But then a guy named Jim Tressel came along in my high school and college years. It was a much different story. And so this last 15-year ride has been very fun for me. Um, though I will say we'll probably, we are definitely going to talk about this game later on because it, it has some major implications this year for both teams and the playoff race. But I am getting a feeling that the tide could be turning a little bit. Um, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to panic based on what happened on Saturday. But I certainly can see Michigan starting to get its stuff together. And maybe their program is back on track. It's only one year. Uh, you know, everyone, remember Brady Hoke had, won 11 games his first year, went to the Sugar Bowl. So... Don't overreact to one year, but certainly Michigan is back on track. And, and at least for this weekend, it's going to be uh, more of a traditional Ohio State matchup, unlike the one-sided affairs we've been getting under the Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke era, except for that one season, the first season under Hoke. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, and like you said earlier, uh, you know, maybe the team that's been down and out for a few years, in Michigan's case, it's been about eight years now, maybe they take that they they take the rivalry game upset the team and use that as a launching point to to come back into relevance and i could see that easily happening in this michigan ohio state team you know michigan is a highly ranked team this year but they have just been uh, either terrible or mediocre for a really long time so this could be uh the the cherry on top for jim harbaugh's comeback season and uh for having Harbaugh and Urban Meyer that makes for a great coaching rivalry I mean you you think back and you have to look at the mirror of Bo Schembechler versus Woody Hayes uh when the 10 years war was happening back in the early 70s so I I think there's a lot of hope for that rivalry and Chris I I'm not a hater I I tell it like it is I don't enjoy being negative all the time that is my favorite rivalry it has been, it was growing up, and it still is today. I I like that one more than any other college football rivalry. I think there are some really great ones, ones that are just as good as the game. But for me, I, I like that one the best just because of the history I have with it growing up, uh, even you know moving away from Cleveland, moving down south to southern Ohio. It's still strong down there, and everywhere I go, that rivalry uh, seems to poke its head back. I would say, though, that the most relevant big-time rivalry of the past 
10 years has been Auburn versus Alabama, which is a really great rivalry. The Iron Bowl, uh, for six years, it determined uh, who was going to go to the BCS championship game. You had some really memorable games within that time span, the most memorable one being that kick return all the way back for a walk-off touchdown for Auburn for them to go and then go to the BCS title game against Florida State a couple years ago. That's a really good one, and I have enjoyed watching that one, getting to know that one, but for me, I, I'm agreeing with you, man. Hey, man, first off, I wasn't trying to call you a hater, but I, we've discussed this before. You have migrated away from Ohio State throughout your years, and I, it pleases me that you still <laughs> remember where you've come from, even though you're down south. You can't, you can take Bob out of Ohio, but you can't take Ohio out of Bob. So thank you for reassuring my faith. I knew you weren't completely <laughs> lost. There's hope for me yet, but I do agree with you with Alabama and Auburn. It is, I think, a good number two. And I believe that the last five years, it has been the best rivalry in college football. I wouldn't go all the way back to 10 years because before Nick Saban got to Alabama, Alabama was pretty mediocre. Tommy Tupperville had Auburn playing well, but the game wasn't that big. Certainly, it's always big for those two schools. I'm talking on a national level. And Ohio State-Michigan was still very relevant. They had that number one for number two game in 07. So if you go back 10 years, I don't think it was still as strong. But certainly in the last five, it's been the premier game because, as you said, it has decided so much in terms of the national championship picture for the last five years. I mean, those two teams have played in, I believe, five combined national title games in that span. That That's ridiculous. Uh, it's hard to top that kind of success when you're talking about a great rivalry, when they meet every year in the last game of the season, when the winner of that game is probably going to the national title game, yeah, it's a, it's a huge deal. So I would agree with you that definitely the last five or six years, if you go back to 10, I think it gets a little weaker. But yes, it, it, for, especially with Michigan being so down in that same time span, the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry has kind of lost its luster a little bit. It's obviously still very important in the Midwest, but nationally the game just hadn't been as relevant um, in years past. Yeah, certainly. I could, I could see that. Sorry, I just threw out that time frame number not really thinking about the uh, what it was like back in 05, but you're right. Uh, probably a little bit shorter time span where it's been the best, but it has been quite relevant. Uh, we have some, some really meaningful rivalry games coming up this week. Uh, can I just interject real quick and say that now that college football has pushed back, because the Big Ten used to end its season last weekend. They added a bye week after that 07 game, because if you remember, Ohio State got destroyed by Florida that national title game, and they were off for 49 days. After that, the Big Ten added a bye week to mitigate how long the Big Ten would be sitting around, and a consequence of that is it pushed all of their rivalries, because the Big Ten has a ton of rivalries in its conference, and it pushed it back to Thanksgiving weekend. Now you've got a Thanksgiving weekend that has a ton of college football rivalries. You've got the NFL Thanksgiving tradition. This weekend is the one of the best football weekends of the year, period. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh it has to be the best one of of Yeah, I I I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's tons of football to watch uh for a fan of any kind of team so absolutely um so we do have some big rivalries coming up uh ohio state is going to play michigan there's a lot on the line there uh, alabama versus auburn we talked about that one as well not on a lot on the line for auburn but alabama does need that win to cement their college playoff hopes 
we got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Florida versus Florida State, USC versus UCLA, Oregon versus Oregon State, and Clemson versus South Carolina. These are all games that are going to have huge impacts on conference championships and college football playoffs. Chris, which games are you looking forward to watching other than your favorite one? Well, you left two off as well. Mississippi versus Mississippi State and TCU Baylor. So a lot of lot of stuff, about as many rivalries as there will be food this weekend. So it's going to be an extra awesome weekend because you're going to have piles of food and piles of football. It's hard to top that. But for me, the one I am watching, aside from Ohio State Michigan, and it's tough. It's tough to pick just one. But if I had to pick one, it would be Oklahoma-Oklahoma State because that rivalry is a blue-blood, tried-and-true rivalry. And... I'm kind of thinking it's going to decide the Big 12. I think those are the two teams of all the Big 12 teams that will most likely get that playoff spot. I think the winner of that will ultimately win the conference and maybe even get into the playoffs as a Big 12 representative. They may need some help because right now you're looking at about five slots and four teams with Notre Dame still alive in there. I think if Notre Dame loses to Stanford... It's going to be pretty cut and dry, but there's a lot of football to be played left, but I, I do think that that one has just almost everything on the line for both teams. Absolutely. I think those are the two best teams in the Big 12. Uh, you know, we the, the Big 12 game we we're most excited for to start the season off was Baylor versus TCU, and uh, TCU's chances are probably done with, but Baylor's still sitting there with just one loss as well, so if they win, they could have a shot at getting into the playoff at winning the big 12 but for both those teams they, they've they've limped in especially tcu a lot of their stars are hurt baylor's quarterback has been out for a couple games i'm looking at oklahoma and oklahoma state that's definitely the game of the big 12 schedule that's definitely one of the best rivalry games to watch uh and it's hard to argue against that one i am intrigued though just from a historical standpoint that florida and florida state is a relevant football matchup and it has been a relevant football matchup uh, rivalry recently for at least one team. You know, Florida State has gone, uh, won the BCS title two years ago, went to the playoff last year, but Florida was really down. And previously, Florida was really dominant. Florida State was kind of down. Now we have number 14 Florida State, number 10 Florida. That rivalry is back in the 90s. That was a monster clash. And now we actually have two good Florida teams going head to head. That'll be interesting to see. I don't think it has a huge college football playoff implication. They are kind of on the back edge. A lot of teams, a lot of things would have to happen for one of them to sneak in, but it's still going to be a good game. And it's good to see that that rivalry is back. Yeah. And you said it best in the nineties. That was what Alabama Auburn has been the last five years. Those two teams were always playing. It seemed for the national championship. Yeah, and it had but, the, the Bowden versus Sperrier head coach. Oh, yeah, it, it certainly was an epic rivalry and, and probably could have been the high point of that rivalry. But I would say Florida has more on the line than Florida State. I think it would be hard for Florida State to get in not playing in the ACC title game. Florida is going to play in the SEC title game. If they can get a quality win against Florida State and then knock off Alabama, presumably, in the SEC championship game, those are two back-to-back big wins to end the year, and you're a Power 5 champion. I think Florida can play its way into the playoffs if it wins out. I, I, I certainly think that's a possibility. Um, 
theoretically, but they went to overtime against Florida Atlantic last week. So I don't have a lot of hopes for them going into this matchup against Florida State. But And let's not forget, I mean, their struggle against Missouri, they have struggled in a lot of games to some mediocre teams this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that The loss of their quarterback gets more and more apparent as the season goes on. And I, I don't have high hopes for uh, Florida getting into the playoff, but just in name and ranking and the resumes that they've built up for the season, it's good to see that that rivalry is back. Oh, certainly. I mean, it's going to be a huge game because Florida cannot lose the game. And I think if it wins out, it at least puts itself in a position to grab one of those slots because more chaos can happen. I mean, Notre Dame is not a shoe in It has to beat Stanford. The Big 12 can still beat itself up and kill its own chances. So, a lot can happen, and I, I just have a hard time seeing the committee leaving a one-loss SEC champion out of the playoff pool, even if it has been a team like Florida that hasn't been very impressive. You go one loss in the SEC with your backup quarterback, I think that's pretty impressive. I'm sorry. I don't care how pretty they looked. You still only have one loss, and you're still the SEC champion. I, I think if they went out, they're going to be there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not going to argue on that one. All right, so rivalry week. What is your favorite up-and-coming rivalry? Maybe one that was big a long time ago that everyone forgot about or two teams that uh, haven't really been relevant, but the past few years they have, and now their rivalry is coming to fruition. Which one do you want to talk up on this podcast? Well, I want to talk up TCU Baylor because these teams had a huge rivalry, as I was made aware of right before we were about to record. <laughs> um, I, I knew they were rivals. I just didn't realize how long back it went. I mean, this they, they apparently like were huge rivals back in the day. And so I, it's cool to see them reignite in the Big 12 because Baylor was always kind of the odd Texas team. You had Texas and Texas A&M and then you know, Texas Tech. Baylor was kind of always the odd team, but now they kind of have a partner in TCU to pair off with at the end of the season. And it's been great because TCU has been good for about eight years now. They had a couple of down years when they first came into the Big 12 and Baylor has been reignited ever since RG3 put them on the map again. And now they've met in some really big, meaningful games. And if you like offense, they've been pretty high-flying of late because the Big 12 doesn't like to play their defenses very much. So, yeah, I think it's been a fun game, and I think it's cool to see TCU come into the Big 12 and meet up with an old rival and have that right off the bat. Certainly. That's definitely one that uh, has been very impactful just on the college football playoff landscape for this this season and its inaugural season last year. So that's a really good up-and-coming one, one that – Everyone was really excited to see, even at the start of the year, that they don't really need a lot of uh, talking up to do because it's already become such a big rivalry. I'm going to talk about a rivalry that's not happening this year that has been away for the last two years. Thankfully, they've signed a deal where they're going to play 2016 all the way through 2020 and bring this game back. But I'm talking about the Holy War in Utah, BYU versus Utah, and both these teams actually had very in, a very impactful season this year. It's a shame that they don't get to play and kind of cap off their their comeback seasons, really. I mean, BYU, remember how they started with those two Hail Mary plays to, to win against Nebraska and then win against Boise State. They became a ranked team pretty quickly, kind of fallen off the map. 
Utah was a college football playoff team midseason. They too, unfortunately, have kind of fallen off the map as well. I think they're unranked now, which is uh, kind of unfortunate. But this is a matchup that has tons of history, like all of them do. It's very heated. It's very good. And both these teams are becoming relevant now at the same time they're peaking and it's good that we're going to get that rivalry back next year because I think both those teams have shown that they might be here to stay for a little bit I'm very happy you picked that one because that's always was one that I liked as well very big west coast rivalry we could do a whole podcast about how conference realignment killed a ton of rivalries I mean a lot of rivalries got lost in time we won't go into them now because it would take too much time to go over them, but that is one of them. It's good to see that they're getting on the same page and making that happen. Colleges need to play their rivals. Do not chase the money and throw away your traditions, man. Fans want to see the rivalry games. Play them, and I'm glad that this game's back on the calendar. Utah and TCU were the two teams out after Ohio State I wanted most to make the college football playoff. Because it would have been cool to see two old Mountain West rivals play in the national semifinals, winning two power conference and saying, hey, you know what? All those years when we weren't in a power conference, you said we couldn't cut it in a power conference. Well, now we're cutting it in power conferences. I really wanted that to happen, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to. But still, very respectable seasons for both of them. And you're right, BYU is certainly turning it around and starting to become a lot more, a little more relevant than it was, uh, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, certainly. All right. So, any any last words on the robberies? Anything else you want to say? Not really, but I'm going to watch them all this weekend, so it's going to be awesome. As many as poss- as we possibly can, and it'll be good to watch some football with you, by the way. We're going to Oh, yeah, do that it's going to be fun. Time, so. yeah, we are going to be- have a ton of football we'll be watched this weekend. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about what happened this last week in college football. Uh, every week we get a shakeup, and we got a big one. Michigan State went into Ohio State kicked a game-winning field goal to end it. Uh, that had to be the the biggest impactful one. We have those Big 12 games going on as well. Chris, I know that that hurt for you. What are your thoughts on Ohio State's losses? What, what were your thoughts on the game? And then what are your thoughts on their college football hopes? A couple of things. There are, there's a lot of answers to this question. Um, first off, you're right. Anytime the team that's been number one in both polls all year long loses – 10, we have a 10 and 0 record that yeah that's a huge shakeup so Ohio State going down a big loss admittedly you could see it coming not necessarily to Michigan State maybe not this way but I think most people deep down knew that Ohio State you'd be at Michigan State be at Michigan be at Iowa be at the national semifinal was going to have a letdown before the national title game just based on the way they have won their 10 games. So it's not surprising to see them lose to Michigan State. What was surprising was that Ohio State abandoned its Heisman Trophy finalist yes. and only gave him about eleven or twelve carries. Twelve eight out of he twelve. I'm sorry. So eight times out of ten plays on their one offensive scoring drive, and not counting the one they got the fumble on the three. I'm talking about the one where they actually drove more than one play and got in the end zone. They gave it to him eight times. Four carries outside of that drive. How do you abandon the run? And I really don't want to call out a coach who over four years has been nothing short of 
the best coach in college football, what he's done at Ohio State. He's only lost four games. He has only lost two conference games, counting the Big Ten title loss to Michigan State, and both of them to Michigan State. Urban Meyer has been nothing short of fantastic. Anyone who's calling this season a disappointment, a letdown, and of no achievement needs to stop talking. 10-1, possibly 11-1, is not underachieving. I know there was national title hopes, but you still went 11-1 in a very tough conference if they win this weekend. That's not a letdown. And newsflash, they're not done yet. Penn State is a pesky team. If Michigan State can lose to Nebraska, they can lose to Penn State potentially without their quarterback. So Penn State could definitely beat Michigan State. I wouldn't, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's possible. And Ohio State could beat Michigan. If that happens, Ohio State would be in the college football playoff if they beat an undefeated Iowa in the Big Ten title game. Yeah, they're, they're certainly not done. Uh, but I, I think a lot of things are exposed because, one, this was a home game against a Michigan State team that was without their best player in Connor Cook, and who is the quarterback, who is the linchpin of the offense. And now you can argue that O'Connor with his legs was more impactful than Cook would have been, but you ask any team – 10 times out of 10, they're going to want to play the backup quarterback. They're not going to want to play one of the best quarterbacks in the nation in Connor Cook. So that was very shocking that with that weakness of Michigan State, Ohio State still fell to them in a, in a close scoring game. And I can't help but find the irony that Ohio State and Houston lost their undefeated seasons and the same week Tom Herman the former offensive coordinator of Ohio State is now the head coach over there in Houston. You have to wonder if he was still on the staff, if he would have called a better game, if that Ohio State offense throughout the whole season would have had a better offensive season with him still calling the plays because that offense, which clicked so well at the end of last year, has just been floundering in uh, being so hot and cold for the whole season and they, they met a very good defense in Michigan State and they just couldn't get it done and they could not move the ball and made some serious coaching gaffes uh, throughout, the, throughout the game. But yes, all is not lost. They need a little help now because they are not in control of their Big Ten destiny. But uh, yeah, it's it's still possible for them. But as of right now, they're on the outside looking in do you think Iowa is the college football playoff front runner for the Big Ten, or do you think it's Michigan State? Front runner, I would say Michigan State's the front runner, but I think if Iowa wins out, they're in. Um, what one thing I want to say though, and I'm not disagreeing with you about Connor Cook, but after I saw him firsthand what a backup quarterback can do in a college football playoff, Ohio State fans should know best never to underestimate the backup quarterback. And I will give mad props to the Michigan State defensive and offensive lines. They dominated that game in the trenches. That's not going to show up in the box score, but they crushed Ohio State in the trenches on both sides of the football, and that just cannot be understated. I know they were without their starting quarterback. I'm not saying making excuses for Ohio State, but I am giving Michigan State a lot of credit for their offensive and defensive lines stepping up and playing huge. Now, to answer your question about Iowa, Iowa needs to win, obviously. They can't afford to lose. Their schedule is very weak, and they need to win the Big Ten. If they're undefeated, they're in. I would favor Michigan State because I think Michigan State has been more battle-tested than Iowa. Um, But what's funny, though, is if Iowa loses this week and Michigan State wins, the two teams in the Big Ten final will have both lost to Nebraska. Yeah, that will be very (laughs) – 
very funny. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, Michigan State's loss to Nebraska is ultimately a, ultimately a loss, but it was one of the more controversial endings to a football game. So I think voters are even looking at that even more leniently, that, that one loss for Michigan State. Even though they did get extremely lucky against Michigan, that's still a W. So uh, I think Michigan State is the front runner. Obviously, they're going to – Iowa and Michigan State, if they both win their games, are going to play each other, so that'll be decided. But I was in no matter what, Michigan State has to win. Right, right, for the Big Ten title game, yeah. But for the college football playoff, I think a spot is going to a Big Ten team. I have that feeling just from how it's going to shake out, and I think – as of right now, Michigan State is the front runner to grab that spot. Certainly, I don't think both will get in, and I don't think I will get it. Will get in unless it wins the Big Ten. Well, first off, they both need to win the Big Ten. Yeah. But if Iowa loses this week, that changes things a lot because then if Iowa were to knock off Michigan State, I'm not sure a one-loss Iowa team would get in over some of these other one-loss teams. Yeah, that that'll be very interesting to see. I think that would free up two kind of wild card spots because I think as of right now, Clemson and Alabama, if they win, they're in. The rest of these teams, they they have to not only win, but uh, have a couple other key losses. I think Iowa with their undefeated record is probably the safest, but the rest of them, you know, are reliant on what else happens in the landscape, especially that Oklahoma Oklahoma State game and Notre Dame versus Stanford. So. Uh, yeah, a lot on the line heading into this rivalry week that's going to determine the, the conference game, championship games, and then ultimately the college football playoff. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Notre Dame having completed its season a week earlier than everyone else. I don't know how much that's going to hurt them until we see this play out. But certainly if Michigan State gets to play an undefeated Iowa in the Big Ten title game, I don't see how that winner doesn't get a spot. And then I think if the winner between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, actually they're both 10-1, and one, so the winner of that game, they'll also have finished their season a week early because they'll both be 11 and will have 12 games played. That'll be interesting to see how those teams may or may not be punished and how conference titles are awarded. Now, if you're comparing Oklahoma to Notre Dame for a fourth spot, wouldn't you think Notre Dame losing to Clemson is better than Oklahoma losing to Texas? I, I, I would think Notre Dame would get in over, over Oklahoma. That's what that's what I would tend to do, but Oklahoma's schedule is crafted so top-heavy or so back-end-heavy with their big matchups against Oklahoma State, TCU, and Baylor that I think those wins are going to be more, pre- more on the mind than what Notre Dame has done the past couple weeks. You know, they've kind of struggled the past couple of games against lesser opponents and now they do have a big matchup against Stanford but Oklahoma has an even bigger one against Oklahoma State so I think Oklahoma is getting a little bit more pressed is getting more momentum uh, fair or unfair but I think it's going to lean towards Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. I would kind of agree with you because I think the conference championship thing might be the tiebreaker but at the same time if I'm looking at the teams, and if Notre Dame beats Stanford and Stanford goes on to win the Pac-12, which they still could, that's a big not, and that's a big win. And they've also beaten a lot of really good teams as well. I don't know, man. I, if I'm if I'm the committee, I would tend to favor Notre Dame over Oklahoma. Now, if it's Oklahoma State, that's a little bit different because their one loss came to Baylor. 
a little bit better on the resume. Well, let's remember though that Oklahoma did go into Knoxville and had that great comeback victory early in the season. I mean, in terms of out of conference scheduling, I think Oklahoma did better than Oklahoma State. Or if yeah, if we're talking non conference, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough between the Big 12 winner and Notre Dame. I think the Big 10 winner, if it's Michigan State versus undefeated Iowa, or Ohio State versus undefeated Iowa, is in. I think it's going to be tough between the Big 12 winner and Notre Dame. Yeah, and think about this. Uh, Notre Dame could potentially have beaten not just the Pac-12 champion in Stanford, but also the Pac-12 runner-up in USC. If USC wins their matchup against UCLA, they're going to play in that Pac-12 championship game. So Notre Dame, I'm, I, I all, I, they're not my favorite team, but I applaud them for their tough scheduling that they do every year. Then even think about this: if you want to do some transitive property, Notre Dame had a big blowout win against Texas. Who did Oklahoma lose to? Texas. Texas. So and let's not forget those wins over Navy and Temple look pretty good for Notre Dame as well. Navy's normally not a big win, but Navy could be the New Year's Six representative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I'm I would vote for Notre Dame, and I I'm gonna pull for them if they beat Stanford. But I just have a feeling that the momentum is on Oklahoma's, especially particularly Oklahoma's side of all those Big 12 teams. I think they seem to be trending towards the playoff. Well, one thing could make this very easy. Stanford beating Notre Dame. Because that would yeah. just pretty much cut through any controversy. It would be pretty simple then. Because I don't think the Pac-12 is going to send a team. It's going to be the winners of those other four conferences. Yeah, I mean, with with all Pac-12 teams sitting with uh, at least two losses, I think it's hard to with all these uh, teams well, and, either undefeated or with one loss. Right, no, certainly. But, but man, I love reading online about all these doomsday scenarios, and there are plenty of them. What if North Carolina beats Clemson? What if Florida State beats Florida and then Florida beats Alabama? What if, I mean, there's a lot that can really go wrong in these next couple weeks and give the committee uh, some big-time heartburn. Yeah, certainly. And it's all very possible because this is rivalry week. And then we're going into the conference championships where you're going to play something close to a rivalry. So anything can happen in those games. It'll be very interesting to see what how it all plays out. One last thought. You follow the SEC a little closer than me, but my buddy or our buddy who lives in Arkansas told me that it's still there is a scenario where the Razorbacks could still win the West Division. I don't know if that's true, though, anymore. I think he was telling me this before something happened. Now that I'm looking at the standing, it's not true. So never mind. Yeah, I think Arkansas, I'd, I don't know their their exact who they beat and who they lost to, but they're sitting at 6-5. and five. I don't see how that's possible. If well, yeah, even... they're 4-3 and three in conference, and Alabama 6-1. and one, And if Alabama loses, yeah, it still wouldn't be enough. So, yeah, never mind. Sorry I brought that up. I think he told me this before, like wall games were going on before something happened. So in his defense, I'm not trying to call him out because he does listen to our podcast. So thank you very much, Kyle. But I think he was telling me this wall games were going on. So I got it confused in my head. <laughs> I think in terms of sheer entertainment week in and week out, I think Arkansas is probably my most entertaining team of the college football season so far. Just with the games they've played, with the eggs they've laid, with Brent Bielma being just a ridiculous head coach and always kind of eating his words. Uh, if we're going to do a postseason or award, award show, award show uh, 
he gets my most entertaining team award. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, anytime you have Brett Bielema as your head coach, you're probably going to have some entertaining moments. Yeah, certainly. All righty, man. We have debated college football to the extreme, mainly because there's a ton to talk about in college football. But there's also a lot to talk about in the NFL. And there are still two undefeated teams in the NFL, and that is the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots. And if they were to play in the Super Bowl, it would be a rematch of a Super Bowl about 12 years ago, which was an epically awesome Super Bowl, not just because my team won, but because it was actually a very entertaining game. But there's also the chance that they could meet in the Super Bowl at 18-0. Now, now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen because it's probably not. But the two quarterbacks on their respective teams, Tom Brady and Cam Newton, are having tremendous seasons, and they are vaulted to the front of the MVP discussion. So, Bob, if you're voting for MVP today, about 10 games into the season, as of this recording, New England has not played yet, so they were undefeated as of this recording. We don't know what happened in the Buffalo-New England game, Monday Night Football. So, as of this recording, New England's 9-0, Carolina's 10-0. Bob, who's your MVP? I have to go with Cam Newton. Uh, just We talk a lot about how Tom Brady is a man on a mission, has been disrespected from the past year with all the Deflategate stuff. Uh, Cam Newton is probably the most disrespected quarterback maybe player in the in the nfl and he has continued to defy critics and throw it back in their faces uh, every game this season we said uh maybe the panthers are probably going to lose they go out beat green bay beat them handily uh we start talking about cam newton as potentially being an mvp candidate but most people are still kind of hesitant on it he goes out and throws five touchdowns again against washington what he's doing is not statistically amazing. He's thrown for 20 touchdowns, nine interceptions, has run for six touchdowns, which is a big key component. But he is the only critical part of the Carolina Panther offense and is doing it single-handedly. He's down Kelvin Benjamin. He's got Ted Ginn as his number one wide receiver target. Greg Olson is a good tight end, but that's not your number one guy. Jonathan's, Let's be fair to Greg Olson, though. I do think he is their number one target, but go on. I know he's, the, he's, their, he's their number one target, but Greg, Greg Olson is not Rob Gronkowski <laughs> at tight end. He's still not. Well, no, no. But I think he's still maybe a top three tight end. Yeah, you can, you have the argument for it. I, yeah, he, he he's one of the better ones for sure. But any other pass catcher on that team is not even going to – isn't going to start on any other NFL team. He's done it single-handedly. He's done it with the with a run game that has been suspect at times, that has been historically suspect uh, throughout his career. I got to give it to Cam. I think there's Tom Brady fatigue. I think Newton deserves all the credit in the world, and he continues to defy st- odds as a quarterback and as a team leader, and I'm incredibly impressed with what the Panthers have done for the first half of the season. Well, first and foremost, I want to say I agree with pretty much everything you said about the statistics. Um, Cam Newton, I am not one of his critics. Uh, Ever since draft day, I advocated for him to go number one overall, and I have been in his corner since day one. When he came out, I said, this guy is going to be a franchise quarterback, and he's going to be awesome, and people will back me up on that. So take that for what it's worth. I will say, though, statistically, it's hard to just overlook Tom Brady 
And I'm not trying to pile on Cam Newton here, and I'm not trying to be a homer here, but what stands out to me is in nine games, Tom Brady has thrown for 3,000 yards. In 10 games, Cam Newton's thrown for 2,200. That's a pretty big difference. Completion percentage, 67.8 to 56.9. It's a pretty big difference. But the one that stands out to me, 24 touchdowns to three interceptions for Brady, 20 touchdowns to nine interceptions for Newton. That, that, that is a pretty significant difference. If you believe QBR, which measures the totality of everything a quarterback does, including running, when you take into account even Cam Newton's running, he trails Tom Brady 71.5, 58.1 in QBR. Again, not, a lot of people don't like that stat, but uh, allegedly it takes into account everything. Statistically, Tom Brady is the MVP. There's no question. However, I will say this. If Cam Newton's Carolina Panthers are have the same or better record than Tom Brady's New England Patriots, I would vote for Cam Newton as MVP because I believe that he would be more valuable to his team than Tom Brady. And I do believe that he's doing it with a little bit less than Tom Brady. Maybe not enough to make up for the statistical difference, but if he has one more win or the same record as the Patriots, I think he wins this award I don't think he wins at all if Brady has a better record than him. I can't see the voters overlooking the statistical difference if Newton doesn't have a better record. I think that's what it's going to have to take. They both have to either have to have the same record or Newton has to be one win better. If that doesn't happen, I think it's going to go to Brady. I, like I said, I think Cam Newton is the MVP of this league. But based on how team performance is tied to these things... I can't see the voters overlooking this big of a statistical difference if Cam Newton doesn't have a better record. Yeah, I, you know, the stats do seem to play a big part of it with the NFL MVP re- award, but I think we need to start. Cam Newton is never going to be a statistical, statistically great quarterback. He's re- he's really good, but I don't think he's going to be at the put up the Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning numbers. I think we need to evaluate Cam Newton a a little bit differently because of the skill set he brings because of the kind of quarterback he is. He's not, he's not that kind of quarterback. And I think uh, it's always going to hurt him in terms of debates about best quarterbacks and all that. But what he's done this year with a team that offensively is clearly less talented than a Patriots offense that, is stacked is getting decimated by injuries, but was stacked with Tom Brady leading that offense with, with the weapons he had. I just think we need to uh, evaluate Cam Newton a little bit differently because he brings a different skill set to the table and has led his team to an, an undefeated record, which I think is very impressive and he deserves all the credit in the world for it. Well, first off, yeah, I agree with you. I I think that, what he's done is very impressive, and I disagree slightly because I do think that he can put up these numbers in the future. Let's not forget, Tom Brady, early in his career, wasn't always the big stats quarterback. That was always the debate between him and Manning. Manning put up the big numbers and was winning MVP, but Brady was getting it done with less talent and winning Super Bowls. It's kind of a similar thing, even though I don't think Brady's wide receivers are as good as what Manning had in India. I mean, he was throwing two Hall of Famers and a great tight end. Um, 
But I do think he has more than Cam Newton. And I think you're kind of seeing the same kind of dynamic play out. You have a guy who's putting up a lot of numbers. He's on a little bit better of a team. But that's the way this goes. I mean, this is nothing new. Tom Brady was in Manning's shadow forever in the MVP race. And now he's kind of doing it to Cam Newton. I, I agree with your points, Bob. I'm not, I'm not saying Cam Newton isn't the MVP. I think what he's done is impressive. What I'm saying is if Cam, Cam Newton needs to have something on Tom Brady, he can't trail him this much statistically and not have a better record. He has to at least match or best him record-wise in order to win this award. Because if Brady says, if you look at Brady, it's 14-2 and to 13-3 and and this statistical difference, they're going to give it to Brady. Yeah, I, I I think that's gonna happen, but I I am not gonna recognize it here because I I just think he get Newton gets disrespected in a way that no other quarterback really has been in the past few years, and he he deserves credit and he he deserves the MVP, and I think it's it's very much a wash at this point, especially with both of them sitting at undefeated. I think Newton has just impressed more, be partially because we expect this from Brady, but uh, I I think it's it's Newton's award. He deserves it. Hey man, there's still like I said, look, there's still seven games for Brady, six games for Newton, a long way to go. I agree with you. I think right now with them at the same level, it's Newton, but. his margin for error is definitely smaller than Tom Brady's. I think Brady will get the benefit of the doubt if he has the better record. But like I said, I agree with you, man. I do think Cam Newton has been the most valuable player to his team this year. Even though it's not showing up statistically, I think what he's doing all around is fantastic. If I had to vote right now, I would vote Cam Newton over Tom Brady. If, If the season ended today, they're both undefeated, I would vote Cam Newton over Tom Brady. Um, but over the course of six weeks, it certainly could swing the other way. And I definitely think that Cam Newton needs to have something on Tom Brady at the end of the season in order to get the voters to vote for him. Yeah, I, yeah not, not to talk in circles, but I think the rushing does come into play. Uh, you know, He has 300 yards rushing and, and six touchdowns. And Brady has thrown the ball, attempted 70 more passes with a game to play. So he could potentially attempt a hundred more passes than Newton has right now. So I just think that we need to, to dig in a little bit and just kind of now see what exactly is going on with these statistics. And I don't think there's actually that much difference between the two of them. And I think you have to lean Newton. Well, and the thing is, I mean, according to QBR, Brady is still beating him. And that, and that is supposed to take into account rushing and everything. Well, that's now, I don't know that's how Brady has, Brady has two, rushing touchdowns from goal line sneaks probably <laughs> okay well I, like i said i don't know what how things are weighted on qbr so i don't know how the statistics compile but allegedly it's supposed to take in all that stuff into consideration and he's still leading him by 12 points I, i'm not trying to be a homer here i'm just saying I, I, i've said i voted for newton right now but the reality of the situation is we both know brady's going to get the benefit of the doubt and we both know if brady has a better record than newton i don't think he's going to win the award yeah I, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> There's a lot, guess, a lot dude, of games to be played. There, There's a ton of games to be played. So, I mean, look, I, I, I'm I not trying to just say Brady's a shoe. I'm arguing for Newton. I'm just trying to play a little devil's advocate and bring what's gonna what he needs to do to win the award. I mean, I think the reality of the situation is if Brady has a better record than him, I don't think it's going to sway voters. Yeah, we, we will have to wait and see, I guess. But 
We will see. Hey, we will find out no matter what happens. I just hope that one of these guys don't fall apart. I hope it's a fun MVP race because we've had potentially some fun MVP races the last few years, and then they kind of fade during the stretch. Like in the NBA, it kind of Curry had it the whole year and stuff like that. Let's have a really fun MVP race. I hope these teams don't fade. I hope they do kind of go back and forth and keep going back and forth, and we have a fun chase for an MVP award because – that would be kind of that would be another compelling story to add to an already very compelling NFL season. Certainly. Speaking of Steph Curry, I don't know if you heard Bob, but the Golden State Warriors are fifteen and zero. Did you pick up on that on the wire? Did you you heard that? You know, it's very hard to avoid the Warriors and <laughs> Steph Curry this year, and it's it's very frustrating for being a, a guy who cheers for the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, not to be a salty loser, but I can't stand it. <laughs> I, I love not. it. I hope they keep winning because the bigger they are, the harder they'll fall. That's how I'm looking at this thing. It's only November, but something that's not getting as much pub Bob, which could arguably be more impressive. Our favorite lovable losers, the Philadelphia 76ers are on the other end of the spectrum. Again, they play Monday night, but going into that game, 0-14, potential to match the Warriors bizarrely with an 0-15 record. Bob, which one is more impressive, to win every game or lose every game about 15 games into the NBA season? Well, obviously winning a winning streak is more impressive, but it's it's shocking that the Sixers can't win a single game in the NBA. And this is a winning, a losing streak for the Sixers that is 10 games back into the previous season. So they're sitting at a 24 game losing streak. That's too shy of the record shared by our hometown Cavaliers and the Philadelphia 76ers from just two seasons ago. So I, I have to say it's more impressive, especially starting the year when every team at least has convinced themselves that they're not going to tank to lose that many games in a row. I have to go with the 76ers. Obviously it's more, it takes more skill and talent and is overall more impressive to go on a winning streak, but to go on a losing streak this long, it, it takes a, a truly historically bad team that just does not want to win. Bob, the Memphis Grizzlies are 29th in points per game at 94.8. The Philadelphia 76ers are 4.7 points behind them at 9.1. <laughs> that is insane. Not, they they are last in the league in a number of categories. I think rebounding differential, last in the league, turnover ratio, last in the league, uh, points per game, like you said. there's a, There are a number of statistics that they're last in the league. I think they're going to break the record because I don't see any any light at the end of the tunnel for them. Oh no, I I think and I would argue with you a little bit. I think the 76ers are trying to tank even this early in the year. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to just come out and start tanking, but I mean, you do have two good your two best players are on the court this year, which can, can could not be said the past two seasons in Okafor and Noel. So, man, it's just, they are just a bad team and have been for the past 3 years. It's been really sad. For the Warriors, you know, a 15-0 and start is very impressive, but in terms of overall winning streaks, they have a ways to go to catch up with the big guns. The Los Angeles Lakers from the 70s are at 33. The Miami Heat team from a couple years ago as, is number two at 27. So they're a little bit farther off in terms of continuing the streak and making true 
history. The Sixers just need two more losses, and they're right there. So uh, it's a little. I bit really more. wish this next game was November thirtieth and not January thirtieth, but. Philadelphia, Golden State, January 30th, circled it. Man, wouldn't that be cool if they met? Like, what if what if they met in a week and they were both like 20 and 0 and 0 and 20 and the Sixers of all teams knocked them off? That would be amazing. Unfortunately, they're probably not going to last till January 30th. No, I, I don't see uh, either streak lasting that long. For this, if the Sixers last that long, man, they lots of people should get fired, and uh, I don't. It's a, it's a, it's just comical at this point what the Sixers do year in and year out, how bad they've been. As Browns fans, I love the 76ers because they're making them look a little bit good. Yeah, you know, the four longest losing streaks in NBA history uh, two belong to the 76ers and two belong to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's kind of why I'm pulling for the Sixers to be even, to lose even more games to kind of bury those Cavaliers records and, and kind of take the top spot themselves. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. The Cavs do not have much of a history outside of LeBron James. But, hey, hopefully the King can rewrite that this year and bring home a title. But I'm going to make a not-so-bold prediction and say both of them will not go defeated or undefeated. I I don't think that's going out on much of a limb there. Uh, Yeah, let's let's write that one down and see if if that actually happens. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get that one right. But guys, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you for listening to another edition of What Are You Talking About? Presented by SpenleyRoadSports.com. We packed this thing full of football. More stuffing in this podcast than Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, FenleyRoadSports.com. You can get the link on that website. Please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. And follow us on Instagram, Fenley, R-O-A-D Sports. We apologize. We haven't gotten uh, some blogs up in a bit. With Thanksgiving right around the corner, we're probably not going to get any up this week either. But we will be back in full force in December. We'll get some more content out to you. We will be back next week with another podcast, as we are every week on What Are You Talking About? Thank you for listening. Subscribe to What Are You Talking About via iTunes. And rate us highly. And come back for more. And have a great Thanksgiving. Take care. Happy holidays, everybody, and Chris, I'll talk to you soon. See you in a bit, Bob.